0: we're going to continue our series. We're uh, working our way through the Beatitudes. Uh, The Beatitudes are found in Matthew chapter 5. They are the opening lines of what what is often called the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus has these folks on a hillside. He's been doing ministry. um, And all these needs were arising. And it was the first opportunity that Jesus really has to start communicating his way like the, the New Covenant way, the way of Jesus. That's what we're calling the series, the Jesus way. Uh, and the Sermon on the Mount in, in particular really spells out this whole different paradigm of what living in God's kingdom is supposed to look like in comparison to how this broken world looks. Um, and it's not always going to be easy. It's going to be tough. And so as we get to this next section, um, this next these next four Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, by the way, is just a Latin word that means blessing. So if you've ever wondered what that was all about. And Jesus says, Blessed are these people, blessed are these people. And that's what the Beatitudes are, the blessings. Um, and the blessings really are just this announcement of wonderful news to all these people who no- don't normally have wonderful news. And this group in particular is another example. So I'm going to ask you, how, how many of you ever played a game, when, especially when you're a teenager, called Mercy? Anybody? Uh, can you, let me refresh your memory in case you don't remember how this goes. Um, it's where you link hands with someone, like, like this, right? And the object of the game is to, like, twist them into a pretzel before they twist you into a pretzel. All right? And then at the end, whoever is in the most pain usually screams out, Mercy! You know, which was usually me um that was my role i never really got very far in that game but all the joys of childhood but as you as you take a a look at this idea of mercy we use phrases like we're just at the mercy of the government right or we're at the mercy of the bank or the lender we're at the mercy of the court we use the word mercy a lot why because those without the power are usually at the mercy of those with the power. And to make matters worse, there is a distorted view of mercy, of course you would expect that in a broken, fallen world, Um, who think that not only those who need mercy are weak, which is definitely what people in a broken world think, but also those who show mercy are weak. All right? So this is really, really bad news for people, isn't it? This is not a good place. And as we look at our text here today, it's no surprise that Jesus then, with this in mind, that he says this. They are blessed. I have wonderful news for those who show mercy to others. For God will show mercy to them. In a few short words, Jesus once again flips the script. He changes the narrative. For starters, I mean, Jesus rather boldly states that mercy is not weakness, for one thing, right? It may be perceived as weakness, but it is not weakness because God himself shows it. It is part of his character, and God is anything but weak. He also knows that mercy has been distorted, and people have either gotten ignored or ridiculed, and even the need for mercy in general is a problem in our world. To which Jesus, again, like he's always been doing throughout these Beatitudes, He offers a solution, but in this particular case, this time Jesus says it somewhat differently, if you've already noticed. The solution is, and rather than presenting God as the one to address this problem directly, Jesus places the level of responsibility on the people of God. The solution is for someone, the implication being you and I, to show mercy to others. That is the solution to the others who are in need of receiving mercy. But again, as we've said, even those who show mercy in this world are just as ridiculed and abused and considered weak as those who desperately need mercy to begin with. Which then leads to the promise, the wonderful news, that God himself will show mercy to them, to those who did so anyway, in spite of it all. Because God's way is always the best way, even when that way looks upside down in a broken world. Because in the end, God always balances the scales. All right, so there's a lot tucked into these few words, and let's start unpacking this then with our first point. So number one acknowledge your own need that you desperately need god's mercy see that is the root of the problem that jesus is addressing here and this goes to something much deeper at the heart level that each and every one of us are in desperate need of god's mercy and again why is that the case well, again, all we have to do is look back at the first four Beatitudes. Jesus has kind of set the stage. He's already kind of made those things very clear in the first Beatitudes. This all stems from Adam and Eve's sin in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, when the world and all of humanity humanity fell from perfection to a state of spiritual bankruptcy. That was the first Beatitude. Death. And the repercussions of that brokenness then led to this tremendous disparity between those in power, who or those who have taken the power, and those not in power. And as a result, it creates these environments, these circumstances, where large numbers of people are literally in the need of mercy from others in order to survive or to have the chance to start over again. However, what is often overlooked is the bigger picture that Jesus is painting. Jesus has reminded us that every human being is spiritually bankrupt. We are all separated from God and from each other. We're all broken. But the good news is, the wonderful news is, is that the kingdom of heaven is available to us. And it's available to us through Jesus. But what it means is, is that no matter where you are on this food chain, no matter how much wealth or power you have in this broken, fallen world, all of us need the mercy of God. That is our need, our basic need. That is our problem. So, folks, may you realize, may you fully understand that no matter where you are in this world, that you desperately need God's mercy. So God's mercy to you and I, to us, is the big picture solution, right? It's it's the obvious solution, but Jesus kind of jumps over that to deal with kind of an application of the solution. But before we get there, and and then what that role is for us, I want to develop this idea of mercy just a little further, right? And what it is, what it's not, based upon the scriptures. So number two. Number two, embrace mercy As the means to restoration. Whether that is between you and God. Or between you and others. See, here's where we have to avoid what people often do as a common mistake. We often go here because it's so common for us to think this way, but it's a mistake. It's a distortion. Quite often we view mercy as simply the alternative to punishment. Right? We, we, we view mercy as the alternative to having more pain. You're in the game of mercy. You're, you're, you're dying. You're, you're like, ah, I can't do this anymore. So mercy, stop the pain. Avoid being punished. Avoid judgment. And we do that same thing and we, we extrapolate that. We put that toward God. And many people think that the greatest reason for embracing God's mercy is to avoid his judgment. To avoid his punishment. But but folks, mercy is so much more than just the avoidance of those things. See, God's mercy at its very core is about the restoration of relationships. With the ultimate goal being reconciliation. See, the avoidance of judgment is merely a fruit or a byproduct of mercy. It's not the reason for it. And here's, here's why this is the case. Let me, let me give you a little background on this word mercy. And to do so, we have to go back into the Old Testament and look at the Hebrew word for mercy, which is hesed. It can be translated as love, loving kindness, compassion, forgiveness, as well as mercy. What these words have in common is that they're all Relational specifically dealing with a covenant relationship between two entities. Now, now a covenant is basically an agreement between two people or two groups that involve promises on both sides, from both parties, all right? This relationship can either be between a person and their relatives, a person and their friends. It can be between hosts and their guests. It can be between husbands and wives, kings and their people it can be sometimes even between nations in order for any relationship to remain healthy and strong you need chesed you need mercy it is something normative it is foundational it is essential it is a necessity a relational necessity you could say why because in this broken world none of us are perfect I mean, we say stuff, we do stuff that can hurt or offend people. We often make mistakes, little ones, big ones. Anybody here relate to that besides me? (laughs) All right? Mercy is the way of working through that. See, mercy or said, offers restoration to anything broken in our relationships. And God knew that you and I and your humanity needed that with him however if this is supposed to be a reciprocal relationship and it is there's no need to show mercy back to god god's not going to do something that's going to be a mistake god is perfect god doesn't do anything that's going to be needing our forgiveness right? God can't be forgiven of anything. He's perfect. So how do we reciprocate this hased? How do we reciprocate this mercy that God has shown to us? Well, that leads us right to the words of Jesus and how Jesus includes us as part of the solution as to how this greater need is addressed. See, for the people who have embraced God's mercy, who have experienced it and who have been touched by God's hased, As we come to our third point then, you reciprocate that back to God this way. You display your love for God by showing mercy to others. That's the solution that Jesus is highlighting here. And there's three parts to this. There is the motive, there is the means, and there are the recipients. All right, so first is this. First is the motive or the why. Folks, you do not show mercy in order to earn God's mercy. It's not you who are being told to act first, and then when you do your part, then God's going to be like, okay, I'll check that box. Now it's my turn. Now I'll give you my mercy. That's not how this works. This is not some kind of a divine heavenly reward system. You act first, then God shows you his mercy. No. It's the opposite. You extend mercy to others because you have been shown mercy and have received mercy directly from God. And you want others to receive the same opportunity of being restored as you have. This is our motive. This is our role in this Hasid covenant relationship that you and I have with Almighty God. Folks, when, when you're the one in need and when you need compassion, when you need forgiveness, when you need loving kindness, when you need mercy in those times and you need all that stuff extended to you from God and from others, We need to be able to receive that. But when others are in need, when others are the ones who are in that place, that mercy is to come from you. Hence why mercy is a relational necessity. Now I'm going to start painting a bigger picture here. Folks, people only withhold mercy when there is no relational connection. It's easy not to give somebody mercy if you don't care about who they are. If if you dehumanize them, they're not somebody you have to worry about. There's no relational connection. They're not part of my family, part of my tribe, part of my whatever. You only withhold mercy when there is no relational connection or no acknowledgement of one, or you just fail to take any responsibility. It starts with your family, with your friends, and those relational connections. But then it grows to larger circles, like your church family and so on. But let's just go all the way out to the furthest one. This goes all the way out to the biggest, the widest circle of all. That is, you and I are all simply part of the human race. And we often think that we have no relational connection with other people, and if we don't have any relational connection, then I don't have any responsibility. But folks, we are all relationally connected through our Creator to every other human being on the planet, no matter how different they are from you. And a lack of mercy is basically a life of denial. It's a denial of who God is, it's a denial of who, how God has wired you, and a denial of what our life's purpose in this broken world is supposed to be. Because restored humanity is our mission, and showing mercy is one way that people who usually have no hope have the opportunity to be restored. That is the direction that Jesus takes here. That's why Jesus includes this in these t- first eight, things he's talking about that is our why that is our motive okay, but the second part here is the means the how so let's move from the uh, old testament word has said to the greek word for mercy it is the greek word elios it means to see the misery and misfortune of others okay that's just pause there for just a second to see it to acknowledge it to see that it exists But it means to take some action on their behalf to relieve their suffering. It's not just seeing it. It's not just feeling it. It's not just, oh, that's so sad. I really feel sorry for them. That's why Jesus specifically uses the word show. Those who show mercy to others. Because we are to show mercy, not just feel mercy. See, it's one thing to think that mercy and compassion are a great idea. It's another thing to actually do it. And Jesus uses the word show intentionally. Because to feel it without doing it is meaningless. Faith without works is dead, James would write later on. You, folks, are the extension of the ultimate solution into the day-to-day needs of people's lives who desperately need just a little mercy. Which takes us then to the who? The recipients. Okay, who exactly are we to show mercy towards? I think we've already kind of gotten our answer earlier, but it's a great question still. So the answer that I hope you're hearing in your head is, everyone, <laughs> No one is excluded from mercy. And Jesus gives many different illustrations and parables, whether it's the one about the Good Samaritan or the one about who is your neighbor and all that stuff. But however, God knows our tendencies. He certainly knows mine. And so throughout the Old Testament scriptures, he mentions several groups that he does not want us to forget. And I believe those same groups would apply today as well. So let me highlight who those are. All right, the first group we are to show mercy to are what Scripture calls foreigners. And who are they? Well, they're a great rock band in the '80s. No, no. Um, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I divide. Scratch that. <laughs> Not even sure where they was going. Uh, by definition. Foreigners are people of a different race, skin color, language, culture than you. Different race, different skin color, different language, different culture than you. Now, it could mean any time in your life, any time you have interaction with people who are like this, But primarily, a lot of times when when we see this in context in Scripture, it's usually under the context of when you're the majority and they are the non-majority. All right? Whatever you are, these are people who are different than that. So, for example, especially back in the Old Testament when this was written, if you were a Jew and you were from the nation of Israel, those are your parameters, then it would be anyone who is not a Jew and anyone who is not from the nation of Israel. Pretty simple. So for us, if you are white, then anyone who is not white would fall into that category. If you speak Spanish as your primary language, then anyone who does not. If you are from African descent, or Native American, or Asian, like three of my children, or Hispanic, like my oldest daughter, then anyone who is not. If you are from a certain country, then anyone who is not from your country, I think you get, you're get you getting the point, you are to show mercy to those who are different than you. That's the first group we're to show mercy towards. All right. Secondly, we're to show mercy to the poor. And that's a rather broad category, and there are multiple multiple reasons as to why they're in that condition. But obviously, these are the economically challenged. And oftentimes, we overlook the poor because we're more concerned about how they got there than that they're there we're more concerned about judging how they got there versus realizing they're they're just there okay and so the economically challenged third we are to show mercy to the widow now that was a very real concern in the first century it was back in the old testament because we're talking an area an era of history where this was still a very male-dominated culture And if your husband were to die, you had a very unclear and potentially life-threatening future. All right, They were at risk financially. They were at risk to have to resort to prostitution if they were younger. They were at risk to becoming just poor if they were the older. Because there were no safeguards to care for widows at that time. Now, although the risks today may not be the same, the financial strain, possibly, and the emotional strain still is, all right? And today, we could probably include things like single moms, single dads, single parents in this category as well. And then fourth, we are to show mercy to the orphan. These are the four main categories in the Old Testament that you are showed to show mercy to outside of just everyone. Don't forget these four. Uh, whether that's through the death of their parents, possibly, or through abandonment, through abuse, through any number of reasons. So those from different cultural backgrounds, the poor, the widow, and the orphan. Now, why did God list those four in particular? Because those are the people who are the most vulnerable, who are most susceptible to being taken advantage of, of being mistreated, They're often the ones that are shown the least amount of mercy in this fallen, broken world. And God knew that if his people stopped caring for others, especially those most vulnerable, stopped showing mercy to others, then they ultimately would be saying, I really don't care about you either, God. Because the two are directly connected. See, mercy is what keeps your heart tender. But selfishness and arrogance will begin to close off and harden your heart. And folks, some of the most selfish and arrogant people that I have met over the years are often the most religious. Ancient Israel had the same tendencies. So so here's a reminder through one of their prophets. They write, For I desire mercy not sacrifice, an acknowledgment of God rather than burnt offerings. In other words, God does not need your religion. He wants your mercy. He wants you to reflect him into this world because there's so many needs in it. Therefore, a lack of mercy toward others means a real lack of knowledge of who God really is. And in our case, it is a lack of connection to who Jesus really is in our lives. However, when you do show mercy and tenderness and compassion to others, that is how you acknowledge God. Again, it is mercy, not your religion, that shows that your life has been transformed by Jesus. What defines your life as a Christian? What would help? When people say, well, what's on that top ten list? What makes a Christian a Christian? they do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and all these religious things, that wouldn't make the top 10 lists. I can tell you mercy would be on that list because it's a way of life that we are to live out, the way of life, the way of Jesus in and through you, because the solution that Jesus is giving to us is meant to come through you. That's what the prophet Micah wrote. He says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And he has told you what he wants from you. What is that? (laughs) To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That is our call. That is who we are supposed to be. Just, merciful, Now, but as we've already experienced, this is not going to be easy. We will face a massive headwind from this broken world, which Jesus deals with in his promise. And that's our fourth and final point, number four. Rest in the promise that, is, that God's mercy is fully yours. Jesus makes this promise to those who live this way, The Jesus way, you could say. Who extend mercy to others. And this promise is so important because living this way is hard. (laughs) Living this way is kind of like walking naked in a sandstorm. (laughs) I'm not sure. I've never had that happen before, but it sounds nasty, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, But that's what I'm talking about. Living this way is hard. Showing mercy in a broken world is kind of like that. It's going to get met with a lot of resistance. It's difficult. But it takes action to still do it. And quite often, once you do it, once you take that leap of faith on the big things, especially, especially if it's a long-term commitment, you realize just how hard it can be. It can be exhausting. It takes you completely out of your comfort zone. Folks, it is tough, and sometimes you want to stop. Why do you think Jesus spends so much time giving us encouragement and giving us promises? Because there are going to be days and moments when you're like, man, I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel. This is too tough. Mercy smirtsy. I'm not going to do it anymore. (laughs) All right? Sometimes you just want to stop which is why Jesus is making this promise to us. But let's do a quick timeout, because some of you might be thinking, now, wait a minute, timeout, What, what about boundaries? Right? I mean, that's a great question. I mean, there are times and places when those who constantly give and extend mercy need to have boundaries so they are not consistently taking advantage of. But folks, that has more to do with how you handle toxic relationships. It's not talking about simply having this heart of mercy. And in toxic relationships, there needs to be accountability. There needs to be consequences. There needs to be all that stuff. And then Dr. Henry Cloud uh, wrote a tremendous book on this topic, and I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite books of all time. So if you need help with this in particular, if this is your issue, then pick this up, read it, study it, memorize it. It's just great material, great resource for you. But one of the takeaways from this book, is that you can still have the merciful heart that Jesus is calling us into. You can still live a life that is consistent with showing mercy, but also still enforce boundaries, still enforce accountability, and still enforce consequences. But these toxic relationships, though, they... This would take a whole nother series to have to go through to kind of develop that and unpack that today. So we're not spending our time on this today. We're kind of just looking at the big picture, again, of having this merciful heart. That's the picture that Jesus is painting. So having, having a new way of living this new life of mercy. And even then, it's hard. The, the people that you're serving, whoever those are, it could be people at work, it could be people in your community, it could be people at the place that you're serving in The various places of ministry around town, it could be your children, it could be your parents, it could be whoever it is that you're serving. It can be hard. You might get verbally abused. Sometimes society itself would be saying, why are you spending so much time doing that? Why would you do that? You're, You're weak to be able to pull that off. Why would you do that? You may feel like you are literally pouring water into a black hole. It can be exhausting. I speak from experience and you wonder some days if it's really worth it but the truth is folks you may never know the fruit of the mercy that you show you may never see the fruit in your lifetime but Jesus didn't say only show the mercy when you're able to see the fruit afterwards he just says show mercy Show it anyway. Because you have a loving Heavenly Father in Heaven who is cheering you on, who has given you this difficult assignment. And when your time on earth is done, God's mercy in all of its fullness will be waiting for you. Folks, I can tell you, it may not seem like it now, but it will be worth it. That's what Jesus is promising us. But that promise actually bleeds into our lives and our world right now. I love what the prophet Jeremiah writes. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Folks, we can hope, even now, in that promise, that God's mercies never fail fail in spite of how boneheaded we are sometimes and in spite of how difficult it is when we show mercy and it's just spit back into our face and you wonder if you can keep doing it his mercies are literally new every morning rest in that promise but then realize the depth of the promise that jesus is making that no matter how hard it is God's mercy and its fullest sense on that final day of renewal, judgment, and new creation, that God's mercy and its fullest sense are fully yours. Folks, I don't know about you, but I need that reminder. So may you rest in that promise. May you not stop. And may you be instruments of of mercy in a merciless world as the hands and feet of Jesus to everyone. In every relational connection that you have from your closest friends all the way to those who are the most vulnerable and very different from you. May we walk in the way of Jesus. Would you stand?